Welcome to the Way of the Bible podcast, inspiring and empowering Christians of all measures of faith to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Join in with our host, Bible teacher and guide, Dr. Philip Zimmerman, as he explores the paths through Scripture that lead to life in the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and being thankful in all circumstances, simply by believing God and following Jesus. And now, Dr. Z. Welcome again. This is Dr. Philip Zimmerman and Dr. Z. And you join me for episode number 116 of Way of the Bible podcast. So glad to have you with me today. This is our fourth of eight episodes in our 15th mini-series entitled, It's All About Jesus. On this episode, we're going to take a look at mature faith that was seen in Jesus' parable of the sower in the fourth soil. We get a sense of what this mature faith looks like from Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and Paul's description of the unity of the body in Ephesians chapter 4. On our last episode, we looked at Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower to his disciples found in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 21. In his explanation of the parable, Jesus gave his disciples both encouragement and a warning regarding spiritual maturity. And that's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. We are going to be in overview mode as we look at the passages today from the book of John and also from the book of Ephesians. I want to encourage you to do your own reading, meditation, study, and discussion of these passages with fellow believers to begin to experience how deep and crystal clear is the call to spiritual maturity for all believers. The New Testament indicates Jesus' disciples and apostles were taught by Jesus how to follow him. And after the day of Pentecost, these disciples and apostles were given instructions and guidance by the Holy Spirit of how to teach others how to replicate following Jesus in new disciples. So again, how to disciple new disciples in following Jesus. The letters and epistles of the New Testament indicate the four soils were present in the first century church. (laughs) The writers of the letters and epistles provide instructions for how to start where you are and strive daily towards spiritual maturity. They also identify pitfalls to avoid that people often take while wandering off the path. Jesus explained why people wander in his parable of the sower, and it has to do directly with how they hear the word of God and what they do in response. And that's why I was saying Jesus was giving his disciples both encouragement and a warning in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, take care then how you hear, for the one who has will be given more. So the person who hears and receives it will be given more. And the people who has not, if that word of God just goes flying right over your head, if you do not have it, even what you think you have will be taken away. That's That is very encouraging encouragement and very dire warning. With all that as an introduction, let's get to the text. We'll start reading John chapter 17, which is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. I'll only interrupt the reading briefly with minor comments or observations. John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, these words were his upper room discourse with his disciples the night he was betrayed. So that's what he's. So when Jesus had spoken these words, that's what the in the upper room discourse, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, Jesus just rebuked everyone who says today that God has provided another way to eternal life rather than through knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ whom he sent. Jesus leaves no room for any other way to eternal life, such as being good, having a belief in the power of the universe, thinking the earth is mankind's mother, experiencing the power of crystals. How about existential out-of-body experiences while on psychedelic drugs or sensing the awe of eternal impersonal mind of the cosmos apart from knowing God and Jesus Christ? All these terminate in the same place, which is judgment, condemnation, and eternal separation from God in a lake of fire and torment. It is only through belief in God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. As Jesus stated in verse 3 of John chapter 17, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Period. The end. There is no other way. Now, I agree that no one likes to think this could really be true. But God has left no room for thinking otherwise. And the truth is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from that certain future, which is judgment, condemnation, and eternal separation from God. Well, let's continue. Jesus completed all that God had sent him to do, and was going back to the Father to receive back the glory now as the God-man. Jesus is now eternally in a human body, seated at the right hand of God. And this Jesus, now seated at the right hand of God, is going to receive the glory he had with the Father before the world existed. It is this same Jesus who we are co-heirs with when we say we're co-heirs with Christ. We're adopted children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ, with the God-man seated at the right hand of God in heaven, even now. John chapter 17, verses 6 to 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now think of the fourth soil here. Jesus has just stated to his father that he sowed the word of God into his disciples, and they received the words of God. And through the words, they came to know the truth, that Jesus Christ came from God. And knowing the truth, they believed that God sent Jesus. Now, we have the words God gave Jesus. They're in the Gospels. We have the words the Holy Spirit gave the disciples. They're in the letters and the epistles. Watch out for the word to be trampled in your own mind, as in the first soil. Or let trials drive you away from the word as in second soil. Or let the cares, riches, and pleasures of the world choke out the word as in the third soil. Watch out for that. Jesus continues in verse 9. I am praying for them. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Of course, that was Judas Iscariot. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. May God keeping us as one in Christ is Jesus' desire, and that we'd have his joy fulfilled in us. Just think, I mean, just think about that. It's Jesus' desire that his joy would be fulfilled in us. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now remember this parable of the sower and the seed The seed was the word of God. So we go into verse 14. I have given them your word. That's given to the disciples and now given to us. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Wonder no longer why the world hates you. Jesus, through the person who was proclaiming the gospel in your presence, gave you the word of God and took you out of the world. The Bible says that we were bought with a price. The world hates you and hates me because we are no longer of the world. Jesus is making this very clear. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are not of the world, but we are still susceptible to the evil one. And Jesus, of course, was praying our protection from the evil one. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Now, to sanctify is to make holy or set apart or consecrate to God. Jesus asked God to sanctify us in God's word and that we are sanctified in the truth. That'd be God's word. Believe it and live in your belief. Can I, I mean, I've just been emphasizing that since the first episode of this podcast. It is God's word. We just need to really hold it, hold it tight, as Jesus was just indicating in this high priestly prayer. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Of course, that'd be us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Jesus asked of the Father that we may all be one collectively in the Father and in Christ. Continuing, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that we may become perfectly one. We'll see the Apostle Paul explain this being perfectly one in Ephesians chapter 4 shortly. Continuing in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I cannot emphasize enough the reality of Jesus being the glorified God-man. We will see him as he is in his glorified state, for we will be like him, glorified. Go see 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 
for the confirming of that coming reality of being like Christ in a resurrection body. Verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So what we see here in the very end of the prayer is it is all about love, which is what the world demands but refuses to submit to, which is the love of God, the love of God for Christ in us and Christ in us. This love is not of the world, temporal or ever-changing. We have the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom God has given us. It comes out Romans 5, 5. While this high priestly prayer of Jesus reveals to us the way to maturity is through personal holiness or sanctification by the Word of God. The Word of God does not just hang in the air or sit on a page. It is living and active. And I really got into this in one of our first foundational episodes, episode 003, Trusting the Truth and Reliability of the Scriptures. The Word of God is not dead or dry, but alive and provides the very water of life. And maturity starts when we hear the word of God and receive it and come to know in truth that Jesus came from God because God sent Jesus. When we believe in Jesus as the son of God and all that that entails, we are justified or made righteous by God and are deemed acceptable before God to inherit eternal life. And this is also the first step in our sanctification. We are sanctified in Christ at our moment of belief There's all kinds of things that are associated with this initial salvation, including the giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Maturity continues as we grow through sanctification by the Word of God into deeper relationship with the Son and the Father through the Holy Spirit. The ultimate goal of maturity is full union with God in Christ and with fellow believers in the unity of faith. And maturity and unity in God and with each other will be completed at the glorification of believers at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Maturity in its stages is often referred to as first sanctification. I was sanctified or justified at my conversion. I am being sanctified or made increasingly holy in my faith walk following Jesus. And I will be sanctified and or glorified with Jesus at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And again, the aim of our sanctification is love, which is of God, which is God in which we all are to share with the world. And by allowing our light to shine in the world in the face of open persecution, may we burn brightly as witnesses of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ. Having just read Jesus' high priestly prayer, we're going to jump right into a text that illuminates much of what Jesus prayed to his Father. As with John 17, I'll stop along the way while reading and encourage you to do your own deep study of this text. It's a life changer for starting what has been put off for so long. This comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me repeat that again with your ears. Now also hearing Jesus' prayer for his disciples and us in these three verses. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Next, Paul is going to describe the unity of maturity mentioned by Jesus. This starts in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul, as a prisoner for Christ, is writing to encourage unity in the body. Do we see unity yet in today's Christianity with its many factions, denominations, and non-denominational churches? Would you describe today's church as unity, diversity, or disharmony? Paul continues to go deeper in verse 7. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's grace. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, this is a super important point that the Apostle Paul has just made concerning the grace of God being distributed by Jesus in different measures as gifts. So different measures of grace as gifts. Jesus did this as he was the one who descended and then ascended, giving these various gifts of grace, as Paul describes as he continues. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Jesus gave the church the apostles. Jesus gave the church the prophets. Jesus gave the church the evangelists. Jesus gave the church the shepherds and the teachers by giving grace to those individuals called to those positions. And the importance of me saying that is for us to observe that these are not offices that people ascend to by personal desire or by their educational achievement or by influence or by charisma, somehow get to be an apostle or somehow make themselves out to be a prophet or somehow convince somebody that they're an evangelist or somehow say, I'm a shepherd or I'm an overseer or teacher of the flock. Those offices are given by grace through Jesus Christ. Yet people have ascended to these offices without being given grace and caused division. Why is that? Listen to what Jesus gave those given the grace to accomplish in his church. This is what they're supposed to be accomplishing. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember, Jesus said that he wanted the church to be one as he was in the Father and the Father was in him. He wanted us to be in them, right? One with them, one with each other and one in them. And this is what this is talking about right here. This is the responsibility that those who Jesus gave the grace in these offices of the church to do, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Now let me read that to you in reverse order. So we're going to start at the end. Being the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
results from attaining mature manhood. So once you get to be mature manhood, then you go to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Once you get mature manhood. Mature manhood comes from us all attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, that doesn't just happen. That results from the building up of the body of Christ by the equipping of the saints for ministry. <laughs> and so that's where that's where it all starts, the equipping of the saints for ministry. The equipping of the saints for ministry results in the building up of the body of Christ, which then allows us to all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to in turn achieve mature manhood, and then being the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Unbelievable. There are stages of development of our maturity that we, we walk out, and this walking out of this comes from others. The point being that the end result is dependent upon the start. If the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are of the world and are not given by the grace of Jesus Christ for the equipping of the saints for ministry, what the heck are we getting? Paul then gives us the reason for us to get this right. Starts in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This doesn't sound like Jesus doing that, right? It sounds like the enemy involved in that. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Maturity is not being carried to and fro. Rather, it is growing up in every way into Christ who is the body and working together as part of the body with each other to build the body up in love. And the key to being able to do this is, is to make sure that the gifts of grace given to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers of the church have been given by Christ and not assumed by people of the world who are in your midst. They are the ones who are causing us to be tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's where it all comes from. That's why it's important that when we elect elders to positions of authority within his church, that they have, a, they have an excellent background and record in, of belief of demonstrated belief in the Word. I hope you've heard so far that maturity in Christ is nothing less than a lifelong journey of following Jesus. This is just not a one-and-done thing. This is not just raising your hand in church, accepting Jesus as your Savior, and then suddenly appearing mature in front of Christ, you know, 50 years later. That doesn't happen. That's not what he's talking about. This is a process, and we'll get much more of that in our future episodes. But for now— let me read you how the concept of spiritual maturity is noted in the New Testament. All of these passages come from writings of Paul, including one out of Hebrews, because I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But if you, if you consider otherwise, that's fine. You can consider someone else wrote it. It's still written by the Holy Spirit, so it doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 2.6, Yet among the mature, that's what we're talking about, maturity in the faith, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So this wisdom 
Paul is imparting is an otherworldly wisdom, comes from another kingdom. First uh, Corinthians fourteen twenty, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in thinking be mature. So again, this is this idea of maturity. Philippians three fifteen, let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Uh, Colossians one twenty eight. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As we're talking about this, this particular episode and this series. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, with that, we end this introductory discussion of maturity in Christ from John chapter 17 and Ephesians chapter 4. Maturity is a subject that will always be at the forefront of any ministry area within the church as it is universal to all. And how can we know how to love as God loves us if we don't know God in his love? And you can't know God in his love if you don't know Jesus. On our next episode, we're going to go do a little background search on the Hebrews 5-4 verse that I just cited in context and see where a lack of maturity within the body allows error to enter into the church. If allowed to fester, this error leads to false teachers who can lead the tender and young in the flock, into apostasy. Let me leave you on a positive note from John chapter 17, verse 13 of Jesus' high priestly prayer. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, follow, rate, and review the show. Show notes and other resources are found on my website, wayofthebible.com. Join me on the path. Write me a note. I would love to hear from you. And let me end this episode as I end all my episodes by saying simply believe God and follow Jesus. Live as a child of light overflowing with living water in the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and thankful in all circumstances. Be blessed, my brothers and sisters. We hope this episode of Way of the Bible has you feeling inspired and empowered to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Remember to search the scriptures to confirm what you've heard today. And join us next episode as we continue to discover together the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ and be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. Knowing God's will for you is a life filled with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Be blessed.